بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والعاقبة للمتقين ولا عدوان إلا على الظالمين أشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن محمدًا عبده ورسوله أما بعد Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he has said in his book, وَلَقَدْ بَعَثْنَا فِي كُلِّ أُمَّةٍ رَسُولًا أَنِعْبُدُ اللَّهَ وَاجْتَنِبُ الطَّاغُوتِ We have sent a messenger to every nation, proclaiming, saying, Worship only Allah and avoid all of the false gods, the false deities. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, ever since the time of the first messenger, Nuh alayhi salam, has sent messengers to different nations, speaking their specific languages, in order to communicate to them the purpose, the reason why humankind exists, <laughs> namely to single out our Creator, our Maker, our Master, the Most High, with worship. That our absolute unconditional love, our absolute unconditional submission and surrender is for Him, subhanahu wa ta'ala. That is the reason why Allah sent prophets throughout time. And He continued to send prophets and messengers, one after the other, to different nations, speaking their languages. And among them was Ibrahim alayhi salatu wasalam. And Ibrahim alayhi salatu wasalam, while he was with his son, Ismail, building the Kaaba, he mentioned a prophet that is to come in the future. Ibrahim and Ismail, they are building the Kaaba. And Ibrahim and Ismail, they make mention of a prophet that is to come. In the future, a prophet that is to come amongst the lineage of Ismail, those that became the Arab, those that became the illiterate, unlettered ones. Ibrahim alayhi salatu wasalam and his son Ismail, they say, Rabbana wabaath, Rabbana wabaath fihim rasoolan minhum, yatlu alayhim ayatika. وَيُعَلِّمُهُمُ الْكِتَابَةِ وَالْحِكْمَةِ وَيُزَكِّيهِمْ رَبَّنَا وَبَعَثْ فِيهِمْ رَسُولًا مِنْهُمْ يَتْلُوا عَلَيْهِمْ آيَاتِكَ O oh, our Lord, send to them, send to whom? The progeny of Ismail, the Arab that are to come, the unlettered people. Send to them a prophet from amongst them. يُعَلِّمُهُمُ الْكِتَابَةِ وَالْحِكْمَةِ Teaching them the book and teaching them al-hikmah, meaning the sunnah. And that Prophet shall purify them. Indeed, you are the most mighty, the most wise. Who was that Prophet? Ibrahim alayhi salatu wasalam, rebuilding the Kaaba and mentioning a Prophet. A Prophet that is to come from the lineage, lineage of Ismail. From the Arab, who was he? He was a very same prophet about whom Isa alayhi salatu wasalam 
He said, Ya Bani Israel, O children of Israel, the Jewish people, Inni Rasulullahi ilaykum, Musaddiqan lima bayna yadayya min at-Tawrat. I am indeed a messenger to you, a messenger from, from Allah to you, confirming that which came before me of the Torah. وَمُبَشِّرًا بِرَسُولٍ يَأْتِي مِنْ بَعْدِ إِسْمُهُ أَحْمَدٍ And I am someone who is giving you glad tidings, good news of a messenger that is to come after me. His name shall be Ahmed. Who is he? Who is this man? Who is this prophet? Who is this great messenger? That Ibrahim alayhi salatu wasalam Centuries and centuries and centuries before this messenger even came, he was making dua for, making dua for him to come and emerge. Who is this prophet? Who 600 years before that prophet came, Isa ibn Maryam alayhi salam, was giving the children of Israel the glad tidings of. He was none other, no doubt. He was none other than our prophet. Our messenger, our Nabi, Rasulullah, Safiullah, Khalilullah, Khatimul Anbiya'i wal Mursaleen, Muhammad ibn Abdullah, alayhi salatu wasalam. Allah Jalla wa ala sent him after a period of 600 odd years of there being no prophet, of there being no messenger. Mankind in general were immersed in absolute misguidance. The Arab in specific were immersed and engulfed in absolute darkness until Rasulullah came. And thus he came to them calling them to La ilaha illallah. And thus by way of him calling them to La ilaha illallah, he opened up by the leave of Allah eyes that were blind, ears that were deaf, and hearts that were sealed. Sallallahu alayhi wasallam. He in fact is the greatest of the prophets, the greatest of the messengers. He is in fact the greatest of mankind. He is actually in fact the greatest of all creation. Sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And therefore if you think about it, if you pause right there and think about how privileged you are. Every single person here, how privileged you are, how honored you are to be someone from the Ummah of Muhammad alayhi salatu wasalam. People become so happy because they associate themselves with a certain personality, a famous personality. I'm related to him. I'm from the same town as him. Do you know so-and-so who was such a great sports personality? I came from the same town as him. You know so-and-so who was such a famous mayor or what have you? I came from the same region as him. People become so puffed up with pride. How about us? We are from the Ummah of Muhammad alayhi salatu wasalam. Where is that sense of feeling, being, of feeling privileged and honored for knowing that your Rasul is Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam? Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiallahu ta'ala an. He said, Inna Allah nadara fi qulubi al-ibad. Indeed, Allah, he looked into the hearts of the slaves. فَوَجَدَ أَنَّ قَلْبَ مُحَمَّدْ خَيْرَ قُلُوبِ الْعِبَادِ 
and he found and he saw that the heart of Muhammad, it was the best of the hearts of the slaves. And so Allah, he chose and selected the messenger for himself and he sent him with his message. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Our messenger alayhi salatu wa salam, if you think about it, my brothers and my sisters, the honor of being from his ummah is so great. If you think about it, being a Muslim is great. Being a Muslim is a blessing, a great blessing, a tremendous favor from Allah. But those from the ummah of Nuh alayhi salam, they were Muslimun. Those from the ummah of Ibrahim alayhi salam, they were Muslimun. They were Muslim. Why? Every single one of you here, and myself included, why did Allah choose me and choose you to be Muslim? From the Ummah of Muhammad alayhi salatu wasalam. Why we bear in mind the fact that the Ummah of Muhammad alayhi salam, they are the best of all Ummah. Antum kuntum khayra Ummah, ukhrijat linnas. You are the best of nations, Allah said, that has emerged from amongst mankind. Every single nation that came before, they were virtuous. The nations of the prophets. But the best nation is the nation of the Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam. And therefore a person... He should bear in mind, he should recognize, he should think about the fact that Allah made me born 1,400 years after the Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam. He made me a follower of Muhammad alayhi salatu wasalam. What a great privilege that is. No doubt it would have been a great privilege to have been from the ummah of other prophets. But the fact that Allah chose you and selected you to live in this era, that is even a greater privilege. Allah jalla wa ala, he said in his book, if you thank me, then I shall indeed increase you. If you thank Allah, when you recognize the privilege and the honor of being a follower of Al-Mustafa alayhi salatu wasalam, Allah will increase you. Allah jalla wa ala, he said in his book, وَإِنَّكَ لَعَلَى خُلُقٍ عَظِيمٍ Indeed you, O Muhammad, are upon a high standard of character. The Mufassirun of this ayah, the commentators of this ayah, they have mentioned that any etiquette, any manner, any character that is considered to be azim, to be great, any mannerism, any etiquette, any characteristic, that is considered to be azim, to be great and high and lofty, then the Messenger of Allah, والسلام, he is at the pinnacle of that. He is at the top of that. He is the one that has the greatest portion of that. Do you consider generosity to be good, to be righteous? No doubt you do. The Messenger, والسلام, he is at the top of the generosity. There was no one, and there shall never be anyone. That was more generous than him, alayhi salatu wasalam. Do we consider being pardoning and forgiving to be something that is good, something that is great, something that is azim? Then the messenger, alayhi salatu wasalam, he was the most forgiving of people. And there never has been, and there shall never ever, ever be anyone that is more forgiving, more pardoning than him, alayhi salatu wasalam. Do we consider shuja'ah, courage and bravery? 
to be something azim. No doubt we do. And the Messenger alayhi salatu he was the most courageous of people. He was the most brave of people. And there never has been in the history of mankind. And there shall never ever be in the history of mankind anyone that is more brave and more courageous than our Messenger alayhi salatu Let us reflect upon something from the characteristics of our Messenger. Something from his khuluq. Something from his mannerisms. Something from his character. Allah's Messenger alayhi salatu he was the most merciful of people to his followers. He was the one that had the most pity upon his followers. Amongst mankind, there was nobody that had more pity. And in fact, there shall never be anyone that has more pity, more compassion, more concern, more mercy upon his followers, upon his disciples, upon those that follow him. Then the Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam. Allah's Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam. He raises his hands. He raises his hands on an occasion. As has been reported by Abdullah ibn Amr ibn As radiallahu ta'ala anhumah in the Sahih Imam Muslim. He said that the Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam raised his hands and he began to cry. Why? Why did the Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam cry? Was he crying because of his own self? Because of his own welfare. Rather, he raised his hands and he began to cry and he said, Allahumma ummati, ummati. Oh Allah, my nation, my nation, my people, my people, his followers. The Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam, because of his, because it was azizun alayhi, it was difficult upon him, heavy upon him that we the ummah undergo any form of hardship because he was keen over our guidance, because he was keen over our, of our welfare, of us benefiting in this life and the afterlife because he had pity over us then he alayhi salatu wasalam raised his hands crying for nobody other than us, the ummah of Muhammad alayhi salatu wasalam even though we've never ever met him. We are from his ummah. Did he ever meet you? He never met you. Yet he cried over you. Did you ever do anything for him? For him to pay you back? You never did anything for him. For him to pay you back. So why did he cry over you? Why did he weep over you? It's a fact of history. He cried over his followers. Why did he do so? Because Allah Jalla wa ala said about him, وَإِنَّكَ لَعَلَىٰ خُلُقٍ عَظِيمٍ Because you, O Muhammad, you are upon a high and exalted station, standard of character. Alayhi salatu wasalam. Allah's Messenger, alayhi salatu wasalam, he was the most humble of people. You hear about humble people here and there. You hear that there was so and such, a, such and such a person, very humble. Such and such a person, very giving, very humble, wasn't arrogant, wasn't haughty. Regardless of who that person is, he is nothing. And there shall never be anyone that was more humble 
truly humble, not artificial humble, humbleness, truly humble than your messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Abu Hurairah, radiallahu ta'ala an, he's very, very hungry. As has been recorded in Sahih Bukhari. Very hungry. So what does the messenger, alayhi salatu wasalam, do? He gives him a bowl of milk. Abu Hurairah anhu is then commanded by the Messenger والسلام, to sit down and to drink. Drink the milk. So Abu Hurairah begins to drink the milk. And the Messenger والسلام, continues to say to Abu Hurairah, Ishrab, Ishrab, drink, drink. Up until Abu Hurairah, he says to the Messenger of Allah, O oh Messenger of Allah, there is no more room for me anymore. There's no more room for the milk. Now the Messenger والسلام, he takes the qadsh, he takes the bowl. Abu Hurairah anhu, he says, now the Messenger of Allah, he praises Allah, and he says, Bismillah, thumma sharib al-fadala. And then the Messenger والسلام, drank the fadla, drank the leftovers. Who does that? Can you imagine any head of state that there, he has a subordinate with him. The subordinate is drinking from something. And he says, don't worry. Don't get yourself a glass of water. I'll just have yours and you drink. You're not going to find that. Allah's Messenger, alayhi salatu wasalam, on a day when the companions were very, very hungry in their thousands, Jabir ibn Abdullah, he had some meat at home. He had some barley at home. He had a a goat and he had some barley. So the food was cooked and the messenger والسلام, told the companions to come into the, into the house of Jabir in small groups and eat. Who do you think was the one that was serving the companions? Do you think it was Jabir? Jabir's house. Do you think it was Jabir's son? Or perhaps Jabir's servant, Jabir radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he said that the Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam himself continued to go to the pot, continued to go to the oven, take out the oven, break the pieces of bread, continue to take up the meat and scoop the meat and place the meat upon the bread, continue to serve the companions back and forth from the oven and the pot to the companions, serving them. And he did not stop doing so, Jabir says. Hadith in Sahih Bukhari. The Messenger alayhi did not stop doing so up until all of the companions, they became filled. Who does that? Can you imagine, imagine any head of state with the citizens, the, pop, the people of the, of the country, the general population coming in and you have the king or the queen of that country the president of that country, serving the people, people food, breaking the bread and the, and the meat for them. Can you imagine that? Why was the Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam like that? Because of that statement of Allah Jalla wa'ala, وَإِنَّكَ لَعَلَى خُلُقٍ عَظِيمٍ Indeed, you, O Muhammad, you occupy a high standard of character. Allah's Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam, he was the most generous of people. And there was never... And there never will be anybody that was more generous than him. Anas ibn Malik ibn Rabbi Allah he says that on an occasion, a man, he came. 
Meaning he came asking for something. He came to the Messenger of Allah alayhi salatu wasalam, And the Messenger of Allah gave him the herd and the flock of sheep and goats that were between two mountains. Gave him all of that. And then this man, he went back to his people and he said, Oh people, oh people, aslimu, embrace Islam, become Muslim. Because indeed Muhammad, he gives in such a way that he fears no poverty. He fears no loss. Alayhi salatu wasalam. That is how the messenger alayhi salatu wasalam was. Whenever anybody would come to him asking him for something, it's a fact. If anybody would come to the Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam, asking him for something, if the Prophet had it, he would give it. He would not become reluctant. He would not become indecisive. He would give it. Sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And therefore Allah Jalla wa'ala spoke the truth when he said, Indeed, you are Muhammad, you are upon a high and exalted standard of character. He sallallahu alayhi wasallam. He was the most easy going of people. He was easy going. He wasn't someone that was difficult for you to be around. He wasn't someone that you had to walk on eggshells when you're around him. He was easy going. He had someone that served him. A young boy. Anas ibn Malik radiallahu ta'ala Anas, he says, in what has been recorded in Al-Adab al-Mufrad of Imam al-Bukhari, he said that I served the Messenger of Allah alayhi salatu wasalam for 10 years. And never did the Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam ever say, off to me. And never did he say concerning a thing that I didn't do. Why did you not do it? And never did he say to me concerning a thing that I did do. Why did you do it? Yani the Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam, after 10 years, never ever within that period criticized. Anas ibn Malik radiallahu ta'ala Before we look at anybody else, look at ourselves. Let me look at myself and you look at yourselves. Just one year, think about one year passing by and you not criticizing someone that is of that station. Your son, for example, your daughter. You send him on an errand. He messes up the errand. He messes up whatever he was meant to do. What's the nature that we are accustomed to? Why did you do that? We may end up using harsh words against, against him. Criticizing him. Criticizing her. Rebuking him. Rebuking her. Yet the Messenger, alayhi salatu wasalam, look at who Anas was. Anas who wasn't even his own son. Serving him, a servant, someone who voluntarily wanted to serve the Messenger, not just that, he was a little boy, a young boy. Yet in spite of that, the Messenger, respected him, was easy going with him, to such an extent, that in a period of 10 years, he never even said, Oof, let alone smack him and beat him, and swear at him. Allah Jalla wa'ala spoke the truth when he said, وَإِنَّكَ لَعَلَىٰ خُلُقٍ عَظِيمٍ Indeed, you are Muhammad. You're upon a high standard of character. He sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, 
was the most forgiving of people, the most pardoning of people. It takes a very, very, very big heart to be forgiving. We all know this. The adults here, everybody knows this. You've been through things in life. Someone's done you over. You want to forgive, but it's hard. It's tough. Your ego, all of that comes into play. Your izzah, your self-respect, your dig all of these things, they come into play. Your dignity comes into play. So it takes a big heart to be able to forgive. It doesn't mean that you have to be naive. It doesn't mean that you have to be naive. There's a difference between forgiving and being naive and gullible. So if you know someone's going to harm you, then yes, there is a certain way of dealing with them. But as for forgiving from your heart, the Messenger was the most forgiving and the most pardoning of people. Just take the example of that woman, that Jewish woman. What did she do? What did she do? famous story about the Jewish woman she poisoned some meat the messenger he had that meat served to him now when they came to know that this meat is poisoned then they seized that woman they got hold of that woman what did they say to the messenger hadith in al-adab al-mufrat sahih imam al-bukhari al-adab al-mufrat they said, Shall we not kill her? The messenger said, No. What type of head of state are you going to find doing that? Someone has tried to assassinate him, tried to kill him. Not just kill him, kill his ministers, kill those that are close to him. Yet the messenger forgave her. Anas ibn Malik, the narrator of the hadith, he said, I continue to see it, meaning the poison. I continue to see it, the effects of the poison in the laha of the Messenger in that flesh that dangles at the back of the mouth. I continue to see the effects of the poison in the uvula of the Messenger yet the Messenger forgave her. It takes a big heart to do that. And Allah therefore, He spoke the truth when He said, وَإِنَّكَ لَعَلَى خُلُقٍ عَظِيمٍ Indeed you, O Muhammad, you're upon a high standard of character. Allah's Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam, from his mannerisms, from his etiquettes, is that he was kind, he was soft, he was gentle, he was playful with people like you, small children here. The Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam, he was playful with the children. He would play with the children. Yahya ibn Murrah, in another narration recorded in Al-Adab al-Mufrad of Imam al-Bukhari, and all of these narrations were declared sahih by Imam al-Albani, or authenticated by Imam al-Albani. He said that on an occasion we went out with the Messenger of Allah alayhi salatu wasalam because we were invited for dinner, for food. But then lo and behold, Somebody was on the path. Do you know who was on the path? Al-Husayn. Do you know who Al-Husayn was? Al-Husayn was the grandson of the Messenger. Small boy. So Yahya ibn Murrah, he said that when the Messenger saw Al-Husayn, 
He proceeded forward. He went forward ahead of his companion. He went forward at a quicker pace than his companions. But remember this, that the companions are still behind him, watching what is happening. The messenger, the messenger he went forward and he stretched out his arms, alayhi salatu wasalam. Why? Do you know why the messenger began to stretch out his arms? Because he, want, he wanted to catch Al-Husayn. He wanted to get hold of Al-Husayn, to grab Al-Husayn. So the Messenger, alayhi salatu wasalam, stretched out his hands. فَجَعَلَ يَمُرُّ وَهَاهُنَا And he began to move here and move there. Yani Al-Husayn, his grandson, the little boy, is trying to dodge his grandfather. He's trying to dodge Muhammad ibn Abdullah. He's trying to dodge Rasulullah alayhi salatu wasalam while the messenger is trying to catch him. Yudahikuhu. Making Hussein laugh up until he grabbed hold of Al-Husayn Rabbi Allah ta'ala Who does that? What type of person do you find doing that? A person, he'll say, I'm not going to do that, play with kids outside in public. Everyone's going to... I'm going to lose my integrity. People, they're going to think I'm a childish person. Yet the Messenger, alayhi salatu wasalam, in front of his Sahaba, not behind closed doors, outside in public, in front of his companions, he's there playing catch with his grandson, making his grandson laugh. Why did the Messenger, alayhi salatu wasalam, do that? What made him be like that? Because Allah, jalla wa'ala, had blessed him. Allah Jalla wa'ala had favored him. He had granted him that hiba, that gift of husnul khuluq, of good manners. And thus Allah Jalla wa'ala spoke the truth when he said, وَإِنَّكَ لَعَلَى خُلُقٍ عَظِيمٍ Indeed, you, O Muhammad, are upon a high standard of character. Allah's Messenger, alayhi salatu wasalam, from his akhlaq, is that he would smile, smile at his companions. Why? Because smiling in the face of your brother is not an act that is of nominal value. But rather smiling at the face of your brother, the messenger, the messenger himself said, is an act of charity. Rather, Abdullah ibn al-Harith, Abdullah ibn al-Harith, he said in a narration recorded by Imam al-Tirmidhi, declared, Sahih by Imam al-Albani, he said, Ma ra'aytu ahadan. I never saw anyone that smiled more than the Messenger of Allah and he did not just stop at smiling rather from the akhlaq from the manners from the etiquette from the characteristic from the character of the best of creation alayhi salam is that he would engage in joke with his companions. He would engage in light banter, light humor with his companions, Ridwanullah ta'ala alayhim. The companions, they asked him, in another narration, in the narration of Abu Huraira, in Al-Adab al-Mufrad, Ya Rasulullah, innaka tuda'ibuna, O Messenger of Allah, indeed you play with us, you joke with us, and the messenger said, Inni la aqulu illa haqqa. Indeed, I do not say anything except the truth. Meaning when I joke, I joke. I engage in this banter. 
However, none of my jokes, none of the humor, none of the banter has any lies within them. Unlike the comedians who make people laugh by making up a story, by lying. An example of that, an example of the mizah, the humor of the messenger alayhi salatu wasalam, is that famous incident recorded by Imam al-Bukhari again in his al-adab al-mufrad from Anas radiallahu ta'ala that the messenger alayhi salatu wasalam said to Anjasha, Anjasha, who was a camelier, a camel driver, he would drive the camels. And what the camelier does, he does al-hida' He does a chant. He chants, Allah. He chants in order to get the camels moving faster. On this occasion, the messenger alayhi salatu wasalam had his wives as well upon the camels. And Jasha is doing the hida' making the camels go faster. So the Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam, he said, Ya Anjasha, Ruwaydan salqaka bil qawareer. Go steady in your driving with these fragile qawareer, with these fragile vessels, these fragile containers, these fragile qawareer. Nowadays we, we call qawareer bottles. The sub-narrator of the hadith, he said the Messenger used a term here. Which if one of us was to have said it, people would end up rebuking us for it. What's the statement? Describing the women as qawareer. Describing the women as fragile containers. What happens when a fragile container? Imagine, you have a glass bottle on top of a high place. It falls down. What happens to that glass bottle now? Ah, what happens, Jai Khwan? Smashes to pieces. Breaks into little bits. So the messenger alayhi salatu wasalam here in this narration he is saying be easy because the women they like they like glass bottles like glass containers if they fall down they're going to break and smash into little pieces this was the humor of the messenger alayhi salatu wasalam another example of his humor Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha narrates in a narration that Sheikh al-Bani declared sahih in silsilat al-ahadith al-sahihah in this narration, an old woman comes to the Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam. Why does she come to him? Because she wants to ask him something important, obviously. What's the thing that she asked him? She said, Ya Rasulullah, Ud'ullah li an yudkhilani al-jannah. O Messenger of Allah, make dua to Allah for me. And he enters me into jannah. He enters me into paradise. What does the Messenger alayhi salatu say? He says, Ya Umma Fulan, O mother of so and so, Inna al Jannata la yadkhuluha ajuz. O mother of so and so, indeed paradise, an old woman can't go inside it, can't go into paradise. So what happens? The old woman turns around, she walks away. And she starts to cry. So the Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam sends his companions, saying to her, saying to them, to tell her that all women, young or old, all of them will enter into paradise being equal in age. Obviously, the old woman's not going to go into paradise because she will not be an old woman when she goes into paradise. She'll become a new woman, a young woman when she goes into paradise. 
Another example of the humor of the Messenger والسلام, is when on an occasion a man comes. Again, a narration in Al Adab Al Mufrad of Imam Al Bukhari, the narration of Anas. A man comes to the Messenger والسلام, and he says, O Messenger of Allah, I want a riding beast, a camel, a horse, donkey, something to ride upon. So the Messenger said, I'm going to give you the child of a camel to ride upon. What type of picture comes to mind when you think of child of a camel? Small camel, baby camel, the young of a camel, a newborn camel. I'm going to give you the child of a she-camel. The man said, وَمَا أَصْنَعُ بِوَلَدِ نَاقَةِ The man, he said, what am I going to do with the child of a she-camel? What use is it to me? The child. The messenger said, وَهَلْ تَلِدَ الْإِبَلَ إِلَّا النُّوكِ Are camels given birth to by anything other than she-camels? Obviously, regardless of the age of that camel, it is the child of a she-camel. Me, in spite of the grey hairs on my head, I'm still a child of my mother. Those that are in their 40s and their 50s and their 60s and their 70s even, they're still the ch- children of their, of their parents. So here the Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam, not lying to that man. He said, I'll give you the child of a she-camel to ride upon. Because the camel obviously is given birth to by a she-camel. The hippopotamus didn't give birth to it. A horse didn't give birth to it. Obviously a she-camel gave birth to it. But the picture that comes to mind is the picture of a small baby camel. This is from the mulapafa and the mizah, the joking and the humor that the Messenger والسلام, would engage in. Why would he engage in it? In order to enter happiness inside someone else beside you. Joking is permitted, it can become impermissible, it can become something that is disliked. But likewise, light banter, light humor, light joke, like these of the Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam, can become an act of worship if the intention behind it is to make others happy, to put others at ease. Because when you smile at someone else, and when you engage in this light banter, light humor with someone else, and it puts that person at ease. And he knows, as they say, that you're on a level with him. He knows that he doesn't have to walk around eggshells, walk upon eggshells while he's around you. He's at ease with you. Allah's Messenger, alayhi salatu wasalam, from his character, is that he was brave. From his character, from his khuluq, was that he was courageous. And there was no one that was, that was more brave that it, there isn't anyone that is more brave and there shall never ever be anyone that is more brave than him alayhi salatu wasalam Anas ibn Malik radiallahu ta'ala again in a narration recorded in al-adab al-mufrad of Imam al-Bukhari all of these narrations authenticated by Imam al-Bani 
In this narration, Anas, he said, كان رسول الله صلى الله كان النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم أحسن أحسن الناس وأجود الناس وأشجع الناس. He said, indeed, the Messenger of Allah, the Prophet of Allah, was the best of people physically and in his character, the most generous of people and the most brave and courageous of people. He continued to say that. On a certain night, the people of Al-Madinah became alarmed, terrified, scared because there was a certain noise that they heard. And so they feared that there's some danger. Maybe an enemy has come to attack us. So then everybody went off in the direction of the noise. But then lo and behold, who do they find? coming towards them, riding upon a horse with a sword dangling from his neck. Messenger of Allah alayhi salatu wasalam. And as he said that he was riding upon the horse of Talha. What's so significant about the fact that the messenger was riding upon the horse of Talha? Because the horse of Talha, as has been mentioned in other narrations, like in Sahih Muslim, was known to be very slow. The horse of Talha was known to be very slow, take small steps and be very, very slow. Yet the Messenger والسلام, was riding upon this horse without a saddle, bare. When he arrived, when he came close to the companions, he said, Lan turā'u, Lan turā'u. Do not be alarmed. Do not be alarmed. Don't be scared. There's nothing to be scared about. This here not just demonstrates how brave the messenger was, but it not only demonstrates the bravery of the messenger of Allah والسلام, but it shows how brave he was. If you think about it, there is danger that you, potential danger that you fear in a certain part of your town. The messenger والسلام, did not waste any time. He was the first person to arrive there. Think about the horse that he got. He got the horse that was known to be the slowest of horses. If it's the case that you know there's some problem happening here in Congleton, there's some problem happening here, are you going to get a Nissan Micra that has a 0.9 engine? You're, not, you're most likely not going to do that if you know there's some danger happening there. If you have some cars available, you're not going to jump into your Nissan Micro or some other car that has a smaller engine. Because if you get to the place where there is danger and you find that there is enemy there, it's going to be difficult for you to escape. Yet the Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam, he did not think about that. Whatever riding beast was available for him, he took it and it happened to be the horse that was the slowest of the horses. Not only that, he alayhi salatu wasalam, didn't waste any time putting a saddle on the horse, tying up the horse, making it prepared. Any of you that have rode upon a horse without a saddle or touched the back of a horse, know that it's something that is not the most comfortable of feelings. Yet the Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam, with the back of the horse being bare, got onto it, went straight off with a sword hanging on his, dangling from his neck into the direction where there was potential, where there was potential danger. Alayhi salatu was showing to us what? That 
he was in fact, without a doubt, very, very brave, a very, very courageous person, alayhi salatu wassalam. And this fact here, that the messenger, alayhi salatu wassalam, was brave and courageous, is a proof that he was a true prophet. Because from the things that they accused our messenger, alayhi salatu wassalam, with and what they have continued to accuse the Messenger alayhi salatu with is that Muhammad is majnoon, Muhammad is crazy, Muhammad he is someone that is hearing voices. But someone that is crazy, someone that is hearing voices, he'll have specific characteristics about him, he'll be indecisive. He'll be contradictory. He'll contradict himself. He'll have weak willpower. And likewise from the characteristics of those that suffer from hearing voices is that they are not brave. They don't have the sifa of shuja'a, of bravery and courage. Yet the Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam, not only was he not indecisive, not contradictory, but in a period of 23 years, he established a sharia, established a law, and established a belief system that was absolute, absolutely coherent. Everything went hand in hand with each other. That isn't the work of a madman. The Messenger, alayhi salatu wasalam, far from being pessimistic, far from being someone that has weak willpower, he was optimistic and he had the, he had the greatest willpower. What type of person when he's in a cave? And there his, his enemy are right outside the cave. He says, don't worry. Indeed, Allah is with us. What type of person when he's being persecuted by his enemies, outnumbered by his enemies, says to his followers, one day you'll end up conquering the Eastern Roman Empire and the Persians. Nobody except one who has firm determination, absolutely optimistic. The Messenger of Allah, alayhi salatu wasalam, and likewise, the Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam, far from being a coward, he was the most brave of people. He was the most courageous of people. Alayhi salatu wasalam. The sifat of the Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam, the character of the Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam, those praiseworthy qualities that he possesses, there are many. When a person comes to know these characteristics of the Prophet, how, do you, how does he feel? How do you feel when you realize this is who your Prophet is? How do you feel when you come to recognize, come to know, these are the praiseworthy qualities of Muhammad What goes through a person's heart? If it was anybody else, if it was a firefighter, and he had some of these qualities, you would have some form of Admiration for him. How about the Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam? Do we not admire him? No doubt. When you learn this about the Messenger, when you read this about the Messenger, when you hear this about the Messenger, then you cannot help but feel love for him alayhi salatu wasalam. And when you love someone, then obviously you want to be with them, you want to see them. The Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam, it's impossible for us to see him in this life. 
For indeed he, alayhi salatu wasalam, Allah jalla wa ala said about him, innaka mayyit. Indeed you shall die, Muhammad. But as for the afterlife, then no doubt the Muslim, he wants to be in the company of the best people in al-akhirah. He wants to be in the company of the Messenger, alayhi salatu wasalam. But how does he achieve that? One of the companions, Thawban, he was someone that greatly loved the Messenger, alayhi salam. And if he was away from the company of the Prophet, he'd become impatient. So on a certain occasion, he went to the Messenger, alayhi salatu wasalam. And the Messenger saw that, that Thawban the color of his face had changed and the signs of sadness was visible were visible upon his face so the messenger he said Ya Thawban what is wrong with you? are you sick? Thawban he said Ya Rasulullah indeed there is no sickness with me and I am not suffering from any physical ailment except Ya Rasulullah when I am away from you a severe degree of loneliness overwhelms me up until I see you. But then when I see you, Ya Rasulullah, then I remember that in the afterlife, you're going to be with the prophets. And thus if Allah enters me into paradise, I'm going to be at a level lower than you. And so I won't get to see you. And if Allah does not place me in paradise, then never ever shall I ever see you. And then the ayah was revealed. Imam al-Qurtabi, he mentioned this in his tafsir. Then the ayah was revealed. وَمَن يُطِعِ اللَّهَ وَالرَّسُولِ فَأُولَٰئِكَ مَعَ الَّذِينَ أَنْعَمَ اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِمْ The one who obeys Allah listens to Allah and obeys the messenger, listens to the messenger, then he shall be with those whom Allah has, has favored. With the prophets and the truthful ones and the martyrs and the righteous. And what a good companionship that is. Therefore, if we are true in our claim that we love the Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam, and that we are filled with admiration of him, then upon us is to follow him, upon us is to imitate him, upon us is to emulate him, to copy him, to follow his footsteps alayhi salatu wasalam, to follow him in aqeedah, in our belief before anything else, because that's the main mission of the Prophet. To rectify the aqeedah, the belief, the creed of the people. To follow the Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam, in his ibadah, in his worship. Worshipping Allah as the Messenger taught us to worship him. And likewise, to follow the Messenger of Allah alayhi salatu wasalam, in his akhlaq, in his adab, in his character, in his mannerisms, in his etiquette. This matter here is not a light matter. Following the messenger in his etiquette, in his manners, in his character, it's not something that is subsidiary. It's not something that is non 
essential, very essential, to such an extent that the messenger said, Albir khuluq. He said in the narration of Anas, recorded by Imam al Bukhari and Al Adab al Mufrad and others, righteousness is good manners. Righteousness, as far as we know, is it not everything that is good? Statements that you make, actions that you do, beliefs in your heart, external, internal. Righteousness is a comprehensive term that covers everything. So why did the messenger, def- why did the messenger define righteousness as husnul khuluq, as good manners? The scholars they mention, as Sheikh Abdul Muhsin Abbad, for example, he mentioned. This is to highlight the great importance of mannerisms. This is to highlight the great significance of mannerisms. That mannerisms, etiquettes, good character is a great portion of al-birr, is a great portion of righteousness. And therefore, a lack of good manners, that is perhaps a reflection of the lack of righteousness of a certain, of a certain person. Mannerisms, akhlaq and adab, learning it, my brothers and my, brothers and my sisters, is imperative. You have to do it. One of the great scholars of today, Sheikh Rabi' Ibn Hadi al-Madkhari, hafizahullah ta'ala, he said that the people of Sunnah, as-Salafiyun, upon us is to learn, to study akhlaq, adab. Upon us is to study the seerah, the biography of the Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam. He said upon us is to study books like Al-Adab al-Mufrad of Imam al-Bukhari. A book within which he collected a hadith just on the topic of manners. Just on the topic of character of good etiquette. Shaykh Rabi, he advised to study Shama'il al-Nabi of Imam al-Tirmidhi. Shama'il al-Nabi. The characteristics of the Prophet. The features of the Prophet. What he looked like. What his hair was like, what his face was like, how tall he was, how broad his chest was, what the hair on his chest was like, how he walked, how he talked, how he sat, how he slept. Why? Because Allah Jalla wa Ala, He has said in His He has said in His book, Because you have in the Messenger of Allah a fine example. The best example, the best model of conduct that we have is the Messenger of Allah alayhi salatu wasalam. But to go over his character, to go over his mannerisms, to go over his seerah, his biography, that is not something that can be covered in one small sitting like this. That is something that would take weeks, if not months. But as a matter of, in summary, all good manners. Can't go ev- you can't go over everything of good manners in this small sitting. But the ulama, they have mentioned that good manners, all good manners, they are based upon four pillars. Manners, good manners, good characters, good etiquettes. They are based upon four pillars. If you have these four pillars, embodied within you then that will automatically give rise to all other beautiful characteristics four pillars of good manners number one controlling your tongue 
Number two, leaving whatever doesn't concern you, leaving those things that don't concern you, they're not any of your business. Number three, not being led by your impulses, not being driven by your impulses, not being reactionary, not being led by your impulses. Number four, having a clean heart towards your Muslim brothers and sisters. These four are in fact derived from four ahadith. Imam Ibn Abi Zayd al-Qayrawani, the Imam of al-Maghrib, he said that all akhlaq, all, all adab, all etiquettes and mannerisms yatafarra' an arba'ati ahadith. They branch from four ahadith. Those four ahadith are essentially those ahadith from which these four principles that we mentioned earlier are derived from. What are those four ahadith? The first hadith is the hadith of Abi Hurayata radiallahu ta'ala anhu recorded by Imam al-Bukhari wa Imam Muslim where the messenger alayhi salatu wa salam he said مَنْ كَانَ يُؤْمِنُ بِاللَّهِ وَالْيَوْمِ الْآخِرِ فَلْيَقُلْ خَيْرٌ أَوْ Whoever believes in Allah on the last day, then let him say a word of good or keep silent. From that, the principle of controlling your tongue has been derived. And how important it is to control your tongue. Because sometimes if you do not control your tongue, you've got nothing other than regrettable consequences to face consequences that are bitter which you may face in this life and perhaps in the afterlife if you don't use your tongue correctly Allah Jalla wa Ala, he has said in his book مَا يَلْفِظُ مِنْ قَوْلٍ إِلَّا لَدَيْهِ رَقِيبٌ عَتِيدٌ the person doesn't utter a statement except that he has a vigilant watcher writing down everything that you're saying so if you're not careful about what you say whether it's about Allah and His deen or even other people. If you use your tongue inappropriately, inappropriately towards other people, not only could you earn their anger towards you, their disrespect towards you, but likewise the wrath of Allah. An example of that is that incident concerning Sa'd ibn Abi Waqqas radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Sa'ad ibn Abi Waqqas was the governor of Kufa. We'll summarize it. Sa'ad ibn Abi Waqqas was the governor of Kufa. In the Khilafah of Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu, there, were, there was a group of people within Kufa, a certain tribe, that started to accuse Sa'ad ibn Abi Waqqas with false accusations. Umar sends a minister or two ministers in order to investigate the matter. So they go to different masajid. Everybody knows masajid speak well about Sa'ad ibn Abi Waqqas until they came to a certain masjid there a man he stood he said now speaking to the ministers of Umar now that you have asked me to speak under oath well I've got no choice now I have to tell you that Sa'ad this man stood up accusing Sa'ad he said Sa'ad he does not deal justly 
between people. When he's judging between people, he doesn't deal justly. And he doesn't split the war booty equally. And he never goes off on, an, on any battle expeditions. So now Sa'd ibn Abi Waqqas, what does he do? He utilizes the most powerful weapon that any human being has at his disposal. What is that weapon? The weapon of dua. Of leaving all other asbab, all other means and causes, and you turn to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Sa'ad, he said, Allahumma, in qama abduka hadha, riya'an wa sum'ah, oh Allah, if this man has got up in order to be seen, in order to be heard, fa'apil umrah. If this man has got up in order to be seen, in order to be heard, in order to show me up, fa'apil umrah. They increase his lifespan. Wa'apil faqrah. And increase his faqr, his poverty. Wa'aridhu bil fitan. And subject him to fitan. Subject him to trials. Subject him to calamities, to tribulation. The sub-narrator of the hadith, he said, many, many years later, this man who made these false accusations, accusations against Sa'ad, he grew so old that his eyebrows ended up hanging over his eyes. He'd have to lift his eyebrows in order to be able to see. You'd find him chasing little girls in the streets, harassing them. And whenever he, whenever he would be asked about his condition, he would say, Shaykhun Kabir, Asabatni Da'wat Sa'ad. He would say about himself, I'm an old senile man. The supplication that Sa'ad made against me has afflicted me. So therefore that's a second principle. Controlling our tongues. Clearly we can see the grave consequences that are brought about when you don't utilize your tongue properly. As for the third hadith, and that is the hadith of the Messenger والسلام, the hadith of Abi Hurairah recorded in the Sunan of Imam Tirmidhi where the Messenger والسلام, he said, or rather the second hadith is the hadith of Abi Hurairah. Second hadith is the hadith of Abi Hurairah. First hadith, hadith of Abi Hurairah regarding controlling the tongue. Second hadith, that is the hadith, another hadith of Abi Hurairah. Again recorded in Bukhari wa Muslim, where the Messenger he said, Min husni islam al tarkuhu ma la from the perfection of a person's Islam, Islam is of, is of levels. Islam is of levels. There's a high level, a perfection. From the perfection of a person's Islam is he leaves those things that don't concern him. Leaves those things that don't concern him. This narration clearly highlights to us not to busy ourselves with that business that is not relevant to us. That doesn't concern us. Other people's business doesn't concern us. What this hadith, however, does imply is that you should, that you should engage, you should busy yourself with those things that do concern you. Salah concerns you, busy yourself with it. Fasting concerns you, 
busy yourself with it. Talab al-ilm, seeking knowledge, studying, your deen. Does that concern you? No doubt it does. Busy yourself with it. Therefore, that is the third hadith from which the third, rather, that is the second hadith from which the second principle is derived. And that is not or keeping away from those things that don't concern you. Two we've covered so far. What's the first one? First hadith, whoever believes in Allah on the last day, let him speak a word of good or keep silent. From that we derive the principle of controlling our tongues. Second hadith. Okay. Hadith of Bukhari wa Muslim, hadith of Abu Huraira. From the perfection of a person's Islam is he leaves those things that he doesn't concern him. From that we derive the second principle from the pillars of good manners, which is leaving those things that don't concern you. Third hadith, this is the hadith of Abi Hurairah, recorded by Imam At-Tirmidhi in his Sunan. This is the narration where the Messenger والسلام, said to the man who sought advice from him, La don't become angry. A man came to the Prophet وسلم, seeking advice from him. The Prophet said, La don't become angry. So the man repeated. He repeated the question. Oh, Sini, advise me. The messenger said again, La taghdab. The man continued to ask. And the messenger continued to provide him with the same answer. La taghdab. Don't become angry. From that we derive that pillar of good manners of not being driven by your impulses. Is it natural to become angry? Yes. Nobody in this room, I would assume, does not have within him the nature of becoming angry. Everybody has that nature of becoming angry. That isn't the thing that is madhmoom. That isn't the thing that is dispraised. What is dispraised is acting upon that impulse of anger, acting upon that emotion of anger, acting upon that impulse and thus becoming reactionary. As soon as you become angry, you act upon it. That is the thing that you have been prohibited from. An example of how important it is not to be driven by your impulses, but to be someone that has tu'ada, deliberation, consideration, someone that thinks about the consequences of certain actions and events. There is a story that Imam, Imam al-Bukhari, he records in his Al-Adab al-Mufrad, related by al-Hasan, who said that there was a man who had a son and a slave. The man was now upon his deathbed. So he asked the slave to take care of his son, to raise him well. The slave promised he'd do so. So now the slave brought up the, young ma- the, brought up the boy up until he grew up and he became a young man. When he became a young man, the slave had him married off. Got him married, found him a wife and got him married. Now the young man wanted to go and seek knowledge. So he asked the slave to get him ready, get him prepared and he went off seeking knowledge. When he arrived at his destination, the scholar that he met said to him, 
before you return back to your homeland. Come to me, I'm going to teach you something. So when the time came for the young man to go back to his homeland, he went to the scholar and he said to him, now the time for me to go back home has arrived. You said you wanted to teach me something. What did he teach him? He said to him, Ittaqillah, fear Allah, wasbir, be patient, wala tasta'jil, and don't be hasty. Do you think the man forgot these three things? He's not going to forget them. Easy. Three things, three statements. Now he goes back home, arrives at his house, ties up his riding beast, goes inside of his house, and he finds his wife sleeping there in front of him, inside the house. But in the same room, he also found another unidentifiable man sleeping in that room. The man said, I can't be patient with this. He went outside to his riding beast, took out his sword. Before he takes out his sword fully, he remembers the statement of that scholar. Ittaqillah, have fear of Allah, wasbir, be patient, wala tasta'jil. And don't be hasty. Puts the sword back in, goes back inside of the house. Stands at the head of this intruder And he says I swear by Allah How can I deal with this How can I be patient with this My wife is here There's a man sleeping in the same place He goes back out Takes out the sword But then again he remembers the statement of the scholar ah, Ittaqillah Fear Allah Wasbir Be patient ah. Don't be hasty Don't rush into things Goes back inside the house. When he goes back inside the house and stands at the head of that man, that man, that intruder, that unidentifiable man, he wakes up. When he wakes up, he sees the young man. When he sees the young man, he becomes happy and he leaps towards the young man and he embraces the young man, kisses the young man. Who was he? That slave. That slave who ended up getting the young man married to one of his own maharim, his daughter, his niece. That young man's wife was the daughter or the niece of that slave, his mahram, or her mahram. So the man, he said, Wallahi asabtu ba'daka khayran kathira. Rather, the slave, he, the slave, he said to the man, Mada asabta ba'di? What did you achieve after me? He gets up, wakes up, hugs him, kisses him, happy. What did you achieve after you left me? I haven't seen you for a long time. You went off on a journey of seeking knowledge. What did you get after me? What did you achieve? What did you attain? He said, by Allah, the young man, he says, I swear by Allah. I achieved after you a great amount of good. What I achieved was that tonight I walked from my sword to your head three times. But the knowledge that I gained, the knowledge that I attained, the knowledge that I 
that I acquired prevented me from killing you. That is the consequence of a person restraining his anger, controlling his anger, not being led by his impulses. So that is the third narration. The fourth and final narration is the narration of Anas We've covered three narrations so far. First one is the one about controlling your tongue. None of you truly believes until he loves for his brother. Or rather, uh, whoever believes in Allah on the last day, let him speak a word of good or keep silent. Second hadith, from it we derive the principle of keeping away from those things that don't concern you. From the perfection of a person's Islam, as he leaves those things that don't concern him. Third one, don't become angry. From it we derive the principle, the pillar of good manners, not to be driven by your impulses. Fourth and final one is the one that I just said. At the Messenger, والسلام, he said the hadith of Anas recorded by Bukhari wa Muslim. Man kana billah. Rather, he said, La yu'minu ahadukum hatta yuhibba li akhihi ma yuhibbu li nafsih. None of you truly believes. You're still a believer, but you haven't attained the perfection of Iman. None of you truly believes he hasn't attained the mandatory perfection of Iman. None of you truly believes up until he loves for his brother what he loves for himself. From that the ulama derive that pillar of good manners of having a clean heart towards your Muslim brothers and your Muslim sisters free of any hatred, free of any jealousy, free of any unwarranted suspicion having love for your Muslim brother, having love for your Muslim sister, wanting good for them. Wanting good for them does not necessitate that if you have a million pounds, khalas, you have to give that million pounds to them. It doesn't necessitate that. Rather, what it necessitates is an action of the heart. That if you do have a million pounds, for example, and you love that, then love that for your Muslim brother. Love that for your Muslim sister. Allah has blessed you with good health, strong health. Love that your Muslim brother also has good health. Allah has blessed you with children, my sister. Then likewise, love for your sister, that she be blessed with a child as well. Doesn't mean that you have to go out of your way and give to them something from your wealth, something from your belongings. If you do that, then that is something that is well and good. That is something that is good. But that which is being requested from you in this hadith is something related to the heart that you love in your heart for your mother, Muslim brother and sister what you love for yourself. And likewise, what this narration teaches us is concerning how we should deal with other people. It is establishing for us the method that we should employ when dealing with other people, treating other people. As some of those social scientists, they call it empathy. Put yourself in the shoes of others in order to determine how they should be treated. So for example, you want to know how to treat your father? Put yourself in the shoes of your father. Imagine that you are the father 
How would you like to be treated in that scenario? What would be the best form of treatment that you would like to receive in that situation? You have an employer, you want to know, how should I treat my employer? Put yourself in the shoes of your employer. Imagine that you are him, you're in his situation. What would be the best form of dealing that that employer should receive? That you would like to receive. You have a child. You want to know how to treat your child? Put yourself in your child's shoes. And then ask yourself, what would be best, what would be best for me if I was a child, if I was in his shoes? So those are those four narrations. Narration about controlling the tongue. Narration about uh, keeping away from those things that don't concern you. Narration about controlling your anger, not being driven by your impulses. And this tremendous narration that highlights to us something very, very, very important. Not something that is of little value, nominal value, scanty value. No, it's very, very important. Having a clean heart towards your Muslim brothers and sisters. If you have that, then you become a well-mannered person. In conclusion to this gathering of ours, we'll mention a narration that is connected to this fourth principle of loving for your brother what you love for yourself, this fourth pillar of good manners, having a clean heart towards your Muslim brothers. It is a narration, such a narration that inevitably, the one who pays attention to it and reflects upon it, it, he will have no more room in his heart to have malice, ill feelings, unwarranted suspicion, unwarranted boycottment of his Muslim brother and sister. It is a narration that has been recorded by Imam Ahmed in his Al-Musnad, declared Sahih li-ghayrihi, authenticated by Imam Al-Albani in Sahih Targhib al-Tarheeb, the narration of Abu Malik al-Ash'ari radiallahu ta'ala Such a narration that when a person hears it, he wants to love his Muslim brothers. He wants to love his Muslim sisters. In fact, it will not be far-fetched to say that a person who hears this and then after hearing that, it still doesn't encourage him to love his Muslim brothers and sisters, then only Allah knows what will. Abu Malik al-Ash'ari radiallahu ta'ala he said, that the Messenger of Allah alayhi salatu wasalam said, Ya ayyuhan nas, O people, isma'u, wa'qilu, Listen, comprehend, and know. And the messenger is saying something like this. That means he's going to say something very, very important. And therefore we should pay attention. Inna lillahi ibad. Laysu bi anbiya. Wala shuhada. Yaghbituhumu al-anbiya'u. والشهداء على منازلهم وقربهم من الله عز وجل. Indeed, to Allah belongs slaves. 
meaning obedient slaves, elite slaves, elite believing people. To Allah belongs slaves, an elite group of people. These people are not prophets, neither are they martyrs. But the prophets and the martyrs, they shall have ghibta, a form of envy, without wanting that goodness to be detracted from you. The prophets and the martyrs will have envy over this elite group of people because of their station with Allah and how close they'll be to Allah on Yawm Al-Qiyamah. At that point, a Bedouin man came and he sat down at the further part, furthest part of the gathering and he began to wave his hand to the Messenger of Allah and he said, Ya Rasulullah, Nasun min nas laysu bi anbiya wala shuhada yaghbituhumul anbiya wa shuhada ala manazilihim wa qurbihim min Allahi Azza wa Jal. O Messenger of Allah, a people from amongst mankind, they're not prophets, neither are they martyrs. Yet the prophets and the martyrs shall be envious over them because of their station and their closeness to Allah on Yawm Al-Qiyamah. In'athum lana, hallihim lana, shakilhum lana. Describe them to us. Explain them to us. Characterize them to us. Let us know who they are because I want to be like them. فَسُرَّ وَجْهُ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمُ بِسُؤَالِ الْأَعْرَابِ And so the face of the Messenger والسلام, became filled with happiness because of the question of this Bedouin Arab. And then the Messenger والسلام, he went on to say هُمْ نَاسٌ مِنْ أَفْنَاءِ النَّاسِ وَنَوَازِعِ الْقَبَائِلِ لَمْ تَصِلْ بَيْنَهُمْ أَرْحَامٌ مُتَقَارِبَةٌ لَمْ تَصِلْ بَيْنَهُمْ Arhamun mutakariba. They are a people that are of different variant tribes unknown to each other. There is no tie of kinship, family kinship, family bond that ties them together. And then what's the thing that made them so honored on Yawm Al-Qiyamah? What is the thing that will make them so honored that they'll be close to Allah? That they'll be so honored by Allah that even the prophets and the martyrs will want what they have. They loved each other for the sake of Allah and they had clean hearts towards each other. Allah, He shall place for these people on Yawm Al Qiyamah. Manabir made out of noor, pulpits made out of noor, pulpits made out of light. Fayajlisuna alayha. And then they're going to sit upon them. Fayajalu wujuhahum noora. Allah shall make their faces become filled with noor. Wathiyabahum noora. And Allah he shall make their garments become filled with noor. يَفْزَعُ النَّاسِ يَوْمَ الْقِيَامَةِ وَلَا يَفْزَعُونَ People on Yawm Al-Qiyamah shall be frightened. People on Yawm Al-Qiyamah, they shall be alarmed. 
they're going to be terrified. But that elite group of people shall not be alarmed, shall not be terrified, shall not be frightened. They are the awliya of Allah. They are the allies of Allah. Those upon whom there is no fear and neither shall they grieve. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bi asma'ihi al-husna wa sifatihi al-ula that just as he has gathered us today in this blessed gathering, in this blessed masjid, Masjid Abi Hurairah radiallahu ta'ala an just as Allah Jalla wa'ala has made it easy for us and facilitated it for us to gather together in this blessed place that he gathers us together as brothers who love one another in the afterlife in al-firdaus al-a'la ala sururin mutaqabilin upon thrones reclined facing one another innahu waliyu dhalika wal qadiru alayh وصلى الله على نبينا محمد والحمد لله رب العالمين